Ah! The test is operating on a big black block. Captain Malcolm, Captain Falcon on a slick stack stock. Malcolm X meets Hal from 2001 texting X's on a street strap shock. And I digress, cause why am I miss? You can test your fitness operating on the test. You'll that speed in French steep third bench sense, rolling deeper than a bioluminescent creature in the Mariana Trench. Got nodes for days, my sequel is a prequel paid. How you gonna read The Lord of the Rings when you got The Hobbit before on the very first page? So to pull lines from Jaws, you're gonna need a bigger boat. It's a season to be sailing, not coming second thirds like Palin, when you certainly ain't the goat. Data on Kubernetes? Welcome to, to everyone who's here. This is our 22nd installment of the Data on Kubernetes community. My name is Bart, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here doing our last meetup of 2020. We will be back very, very strongly in 2021. And with that said, I was talking to Alkin earlier. In 2021, we're actually going to be expanding um, out to different countries and doing things in different languages. Right? So you'll be seeing this in, in the calendar and the meetups and social media that we will be doing uh, meetups in Spanish, we'll be doing meetups in Dutch, hopefully doing meetups also in French, German, we just need to get more people. Already talking to Alkin about getting something set up in Turkish. Um, so we're hoping that the data on Kubernetes community will get more exotic um, in 2021. We always want to you know, uh, be as inclusive as possible. English is an international language, but it's also really, really fun to do things in local languages. Um, so that's one update that we're gonna be, that we're gonna be having. Uh, we'll also be having um, some resources uh, towards the end of the year um, to send out explaining all the different things that we've accomplished since we started in July. It's been crazy 2020 for everybody and for us it has too, um, but lots of new things that have been very excited about all the different folks that are coming into our community from tons and tons of different places and bringing their know-how and, and interest with us. Um, so without further ado, today we are with Alkin, who has a very interesting background in many different senses. Um, in a professional sense, he is currently working at Planet Scale. But if you check him out on YouTube, if you if you look for other talks that he's done, you'll see that he has been working with databases for over 20 years and has a lot of other professional um, elements that he will be sharing with us today, as well as some things he does in his free time. And we'll try to find some of the connections between the two. So Alkin, can you just give us a little bit of background inf uh, information about yourself? How did you start working in tech? How did you get into this whole world? All right, thank you very much. And uh, this was a great intro and I wanted to introduce myself also. Um, I, um, I've been in this uh, business, uh, like you said, over, over two decades, but I, the way that I started was at my time and age was the computers, software, electronics was, was very interesting. It was evolving. I think I came in the right time where the revolution was made from you know the old microprocessors to, to the more advanced computers and i did actually uh, out of interest i did study on a vocational school on an, on electronics so i graduated in high school uh, already coding this is early early 90s so <laughs> so that was like a very early 90s so that was very interesting to get into that and then the, the way that you discover more and then you find yourself whether you like more hardware you're more software and then you evolve i ended up in the in the databases and i never changed my uh, point of interest i've uh, studied uh, software um, development in in the college and then i did uh, data management again in another degree so um, never changed my focus at work at academics or or, or my or my um 
professional life all the way. So, um, of course, coming from the early days, you know, I had to go through the, the enterprises and uh, I was uh, focused on a few other um, enterprise <coughs> database software and their uh, different uh, implementations. And then um, I met with uh, open source and uh, I've met with, with MySQL. That was my uh, a change of track within the track. Mm -hmm. So um, about 10 years ago, I've um, um, taken a role on, on, on an e-commerce company. And, uh, and then I switched to, to MySQL over there where I tried MySQL in, in, in prior occasions, but they weren't at scale. So, so the way that you go in more enterprise at scale with the open source and the things change. And then you actually have to improve and 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 continue doing that. So, okay, very good. We we had a we had a quick question from someone in the audience about you know your favorite kind of database, which I think you responded is MySQL. Do you have a least favorite database or one you're not such a big fan of? So I'm actually uh, I don't actually necessarily have a least or most uh, like databases approach, even okay. even in the enterprise. I've done Informix, DB2, mm -hmm. Oracle. Sybase. If I looked at them, I would actually com compare and contrast between the, the pros and cons each, right? When I came to open source, I've discovered the things that open source world wanted to do that was already done in, in the enterprise world in, in much better fashion. But in, in some cases, the open source actually helped people, uh, you know, fastly innovate. So that's, that's the difference. And I don't actually have a, a favorite database, but what Knowing and 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 experience-wise, MySQL is my primary open source database. So, uh, but for us, it doesn't take too long to switch databases because the concepts are same, the fundamentals are same, database 101 is same. So, based based on that, you can switch. And 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 the people who actually um, invented or improved these these databases also come from the similar backgrounds. Mm -hmm. I think, and, I think uh, that's interesting because it's something we talk about a lot too, you know, whether it's vendor lock-in or hybrid cloud or wanting to right. avoid just being set on one thing is that generally speaking, if you can do one, you can probably make the transition to the other, right? Yes. And then if, you, if you're like an uh, old school like me, along the way, the things that you think that it didn't work or not, not good, it excels and becomes a billion dollar company in, in, along the way. And then you say, okay, there was something that they have innovated. And sometimes... Being bad is good because then it forces your your developers or your community to do better, right? So, uh, so if if we don't say like one is good or bad, there are pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses between the databases, and what what happens along the way, you you actually see they improve, not only improve, they come up with a better solution between the databases. That's why there's not not really a true favorite or not, but in this in my case. Professionally, I'm more experienced and I feel more comfortable with MySQL than other open source databases like Postgres. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. That, that's, I think it's a, a very, very fair answer and, and, and a good mindset to have in general when, when we're thinking about these things. Um, right. Now, can you explain a little bit about the work that you're doing at PlanetScale? Yes, um, PlanetScale is, is actually um, um, a startup founded by, uh, by the... Um, founders who actually worked on the Vitesse project. So they actually come from a, a Vitesse background yeah. and, and the, as a commercial company backing up the Vitesse project. Vitesse project, Vitesse is an open source project and it's a, and it's a CNCF uh, graduated project. It comes from a Google 
route, which I will get into that on my. Uh, okay, good because I don't want to. I didn't want to get spoilers. Intro. I don't want to. I don't want to. No, no, I don't want to get some... into that. I want to make the the storyline right for that. Mm. Uh, my role at Planet Scale is I'm a senior technical manager. I don't manage any people right now. I'm I'm part of the uh, the maintainer group. I'm official maintainer of Vitesse, mm. and I help the community and um, which which actually involves developer relations. And um, and also I am in, in in parts of the solution engineering and the customer success teams, as well. So um, I do uh, wear multiple hats at the at the point. Okay. All right. Good. Um, well, if you want, uh, we can jump right into your presentation. If that's yes. Right. Uh, let's do. Let's take a look at a few highlights related for for today's subject. Um, I was uh, kind of. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, can you okay, see my screen? Yes, I can perfectly. Okay, so, um, so we can actually go through that. I actually wanted to ask a, a sailing question before we get into oh, that. Oh, goodness, so, I had some sailing <laughs> questions, but I thought I'd save them for later. So I've been thinking of what to ask, what to ask. I think this is a good, good thing. What is the difference between a nautical mile and a regular mile, like the mile? So, so. I, I don't know if we have any anyone anyone I, on the will, audience I, who wants to answer this question. I, okay, the thing is my as, trivia question. As as someone who comes from the you know imperial measurement system, um, right? Um, I am um, also imperial measurement system. Yeah, uh, but, so, uh, but miles, miles and the nautical in... miles actually not only used in in um, in the um, you know just just in one area it's also uh, used in in air and space also like mm -hmm. so it's not only for for just just for the sea okay. basically and it it's just like uh it's just the the answer is also is also funny for this well there's also of course the um scientific answer for that but i don't want to get into that i think this is like easily researched and found out maybe in in school i don't know like um my kids don't actually have the same school level of education that we used to have in schools we used to get you know learn about latitudes and longitudes parallels and meridians right so this is like a degrees and and minutes so that's where it goes okay but the the short answer for for this is earth is not flat because 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 uh, circumreference of the of the earth that it's round and it's divided into degrees you actually cannot tell a location with just with just uh, or a distance or a speed, which just uh, which is like where it's at. You have to actually have the have the uh, coordinates for the location. So between those two points, which which we can say A and B, you actually have to measure it by the degrees of the latitudes and the longitudes. So that's the difference between a regular mile and a, and a nautical mile. And there is actually a a difference in in distance. So it's it's one one nautical mile is actually equal to 1.88 kilometers, it's, which is which is 1,852 meters. This is a little strange because, having lived in in, in both in imperial and metric systems in my life, I had to do this calculation at all times, and I always calculated with 1.1.6 because on the land, the land nautical miles it's it's 1.6 uh, kilometers versus 1.8 on, on the sea. So there is a difference between the nautical uh, mile and a mile, it's, which is 1.15. So I think enough with this, <laughs> but uh, it's, I, I think it's an, interesting, it's an interesting point. And then there's also a measurement of, of speed, which is also different, has a completely different story about the knots, 
and when we are at the sea sailing, we tell our, our speed not on miles, not on nautical miles, but, but on knots. Because there was a measurement system was, was based off of a knot, basically a knot that was actually um, left behind the boat and, uh, and, uh, and actually uh, measured by, by calculating the speed of the number of knots that you actually uh, pulled together. So there's, there's that story also. Anyway, uh, I hope you find this uh, entertaining information. Very and, much so. Uh, I mean, Kubernetes, we're always talking about all these nautical things, whether it's about Helm or things like that. So it's- Right. That's why the, that, that Helm chart actually fits right in to the slide. And uh, I was like, okay, you know, this, this is actually exactly what the, the sailing, um, uh, the Helm charts and the Kubernetes. Yes, that's about that. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on. So data on Kubernetes, right? So we have actually, uh, put our data on, in cloud, and that didn't solve our problem. And we also utilized some of the containers in the cloud and, and tried to um, automate that using whether it's Ansible or, or some other YAML files or, or yet another uh, markup languages, um, but um, that didn't solve. So, so then we can talk about the techy things about Kubernetes. So, <laughs> and um, so when we look at it, I'm sure this, this platform um, has already discussed who needs data on Kubernetes, but, but the focus was on, on Kubernetes was the containers and, uh, and the stateless applications in general, right? So that's the regular team and everybody knows in every level. So, but where, did, where does that come from? In my opinion is it's coming from the microservices. So the application started from monolith to microservices, which we actually split up the applications into smaller uh, footprints. And then we started putting them in the containers for a dev and test environments. And then we started uh, deploying them on premises. And when the cloud actually evolved enough, we needed to deploy them on, on, on the cloud. And then what, what happened that we had actually a bunch of containers, just like on that picture, that is not actually orchestrated. And I don't think that, that was the only reason the Kubernetes came up. It's not only orchestrated, it was also inefficient. So if you stack them up all together, they didn't actually save enough um, CPU or, or hardware power that you actually needed to break it up in even smaller pieces like the pods that we call today wasn't possible. So the Kubernetes uh, actually was it was uh, was born put this way. This is my take on it. Of course, uh, other people may disagree, but then we go into the real question, who needs data on Kubernetes? Well, we actually put our application on Kubernetes. Why not put the data on Kubernetes? Because that was the actually everybody started asking about, okay, I'm actually moving into cloud with the, with my, with my, you know, no data um, on, on the, in the cloud. And, and what do I, what can I do with the, with the, with my data? So, well, there is, a, there is a possibility that you can put your data on Kubernetes. Uh, one, of, one of which we're going to talk about today is, is MySQL that you can put it on. Whether it's on Vitesse or not Vitesse, you could put it on for, uh, for, for uh, the things that you need to provide. So uh, if, we, if we put our data, let's say our data store, MySQL in this case, uh, in Kubernetes, we need to provide high availability, right? So that's, that's one of the things. Uh, the other one is a persistent storage. My, my database needs a persistent storage that we cannot just like uh, like kill a pod and then just lose your data. That's not what, what the database is, 
is and it works. You should be able to provide backup recovery. You can't just fork out new new uh, pods and and just think that it will work. Of course, you need to do traffic routing because that will be complex uh, topology to manage, and if you need a you need a uh, basically a some sort of a proxy or a gateway or, or some some in that nature. You need to be able to monitor this structure and also uh, safeguard its its uh, its data. So these are what is important in MySQL or any other data store in real life, and that you need to you need to do that also in Kubernetes. And and uh, we test on Kubernetes is actually a, I don't want to say it's a perfect match. But it is actually proven match that actually um, Google started doing. So uh, we go back in, in some time in history in uh, 2015. Actually, Vitesse predated the Kubernetes official initial release date that was uh, deployed. So why we actually uh, why this is important because the Vitesse was an early adopter while the Kubernetes being evolved. In, in Google uh, platform. So um, sometimes early adopters don't actually be, um, don't actually get everything they need because they are like uh, the guinea pigs of it, but because they evolved together, they actually helped out each other to get better. I'm sure today's Kubernetes is not the same as 2015 Kubernetes. And, and obviously it's the same thing as, as today's Vitesse is nowhere close to, um, 2015 with this, uh, it's much, much better and more complex um, implementation. So um, how do you run Vitesse on Kubernetes? I want to actually um, talk about this. If you have questions, you can interrupt me, uh, but please do so. Uh, this is not like a, um, you know, like a, a long presentation. I, I just wanted to bring up the, the, the talking points over here. And um, so how do we run Vitesse on Kubernetes? This is, this is like uh, a, a complex question. Uh, you could build your own because Vitesse has enough components to, to run in, in, in Kubernetes. Uh, there is a way to do hand charts. Uh, we as, as uh, Vitesse maintainers, I can probably speak on behalf of the team over here, don't recommend the hand charts and deprecated them. Uh, there are multiple reasons for them. Uh, to be uh, deprecated, and uh, and uh, the other option is the operator. Um, just just one thing about the Helm charts. Helm charts were great initially to build something, um, you know, structurally, and then and then step by step, it's clear, uh, it's less organized, but then it becomes very difficult to uh, maintain. So that's that's what that's what my my short answer for for why. You know, just just strike out the Helm charts. It is still doable, and I believe there are still people using it, and and you can still use that and 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 uh, and have them, but it's it's something that's uh, hard to maintain, versus an operator. Okay, hold on. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Okay. All right. Hopefully, this doesn't go into a sleep mode. Um. So okay, so. I don't know if you have any questions, but uh, I can continue a little bit over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, 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 keep going, keep going. You're good. All right, good. So, um, so we, we we said operator is is one thing that that's really interesting and 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 good to use, um, but there are 
like what we are linking between the uh, Vitesse, MySQL, and the Kubernetes. So there are other uh, options for MySQL, but they have a actually different uh, implementations for the same um, same result, basically data on the Kubernetes, right? Basically your data store is now on Kubernetes. So there's a there's a Percona Kubernetes operator for extra DB cluster. Uh, Percona also has a, as an operator for MongoDB, which which is not part of this this slide, but there is that. Uh, Presslabs has a has a nice Kubernetes operator for MySQL. Why I say it's nice because it doesn't have the the both pros and cons of having an extra DB cluster or or a or a Vitesse cluster, and uh, it uses the the, the um, plain vanilla MySQL um, um, as a as a as a data store. Okay. Vitesse has a Kubernetes operator, and there are others. Others. Why I left it the others is. There is there is one from Oracle. It's an alpha state. I don't know if there was any any development over it. There's other uh, initiatives from MariaDB as a data store. There are other um, operators, uh, uh, proprietary or or uh, licensed, and um, and that works with perfectly works with, with MySQL. That's why I didn't didn't want to get into the details of that, but. I have uh, researched uh, these over the uh, last few years, and um, I did not find anything that is um, that is um, we can compare. So, um, okay. So, what I want to I want to come to to the Vitesse. So, Vitesse is a is a um, is a framework. It's a, we could call it a middleware uh, between between the, your data store and the application. And uh, it has some some massive uh, important features like query serving, uh, cluster management, and and uh, and a thing called a V replication. We call it a Vitesse replication. So with all of that, it can do the sharded MySQL or uncharted. It can scale. Technically speaking. It can scale unlimited. You can scale as much as your your cloud or, or your your hardware scales. So there's no literally there's no limit to, to scaling. It provides high availability, built-in high availability, and it actually has all these um, you know uh, algorithms and the consensus algorithms built into the to the um, how it how it behaves, and it's also cloud native. You can take it from one cloud to the other cloud, or you could actually uh, co-orchestrate between the other clouds. So that that's more advanced, uh, you know, uh, implementation of 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 Vitesse. So all of that you could do that in Kubernetes. What ex exactly is Vitesse? Is basically as Vitesse is a MySQL driver. Basically, it it has everything that the MySQL has. The you know the uh, asset compliance it provides MySQL uh, 5.7 to 8x compatibility. It has its own control plane, built-in utilities or open source utilities that are actually used commonly in the market, and it's also open source project that has multiple contributors, both from Planet Scale and outside of Planet Scale, and and the users of it are also contributors. So. Um, Basically, um, it was a project that was um, released by Google to the open source community under Cloud uh, Native Computing Foundation, and and it's being open sourced. So it is a project that's run as a, as an open source, 
and uh, and there's no intention to change that and it's not possible to do that within the current licensing so so it's an open source project which which is open to public you could you could uh, open issues pull request and and ask for help for for that project so that's that's where it's at we look at that architecture so basically if we if we just take our our mysql piece out of it it actually comes with the components that that are actually uh, suitable for kubernetes environment also this this you can do that on a on a on a non kubernetes in implementation but the components of the Vitesse architecture basically you could just take out of the batch and and put it on kubernetes without thinking right so we said about query serving we actually have the load balancer and that 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 actually drives traffic to the vt gate vt gate is the query serving engine for for the uh, Vitesse. And then it actually has a topo server if you have a sharded environment that it knows where your data is, where your data is, is actually distributed. And, and, and the other components actually built into that control plane that actually drives all these utilities and, and, and internal resources that actually route your traffic from application server to the load balancer to the Vitesse environment. And then, and then from that on, it actually manages the, the data. And interestingly, you can do all of that in, in inside the Kubernetes also, which, which, which lets you break it up into uh, Vitesse uh, concepts that actually placed into the pods of, 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 of those smaller containers. So, and do you think, Duncan, uh, you know, someone was just asking because uh, from listening to mm -hmm. a podcast from the founders of, of PlanetScale, having been, you know, since the very beginning, they refer in the podcast to, you know, Borg as a blueprint for Kubernetes. Having been inside from the very beginning, could we go so far as to say that Vitesse is Kubernetes native? Yes, we can say that. Yes, that's why that's why it is it is designed. The, the design of the uh, Vitesse was, uh, like I showed you, they actually uh, came in the similar time frame, and the uh, design of the Vitesse was in the mindset of the Kubernetes. So. Uh, I'm sure there was a lot of these, uh, you know, the, our, our, our founders, they also, also mentioned these. Okay, we thought about this, but because it wouldn't match the Kubernetes, uh, you know, mindset, we wouldn't have, be able to do that. So we had to find an alternate way to do things the way that it's actually in the future that'll fit. And that's exactly so. because sometimes we find technologies where it seems that they're desperately trying to adapt to Kubernetes, but not necessarily doing things with that original mindset um, in place. Right. Perfect. So, um, and uh, and these uh, these these this mindset helps that you're 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 breaking up into the concepts of Vitesse, and Vitesse has has its own concepts. I don't want to get into the like internals of it, but it it uses uh, you know tablets, key spaces, and stuff like that, which is also aligns with that making the smaller pieces of instead of saying an instance. You know, in, in historically in, in databases, we would call an instance, it's just one big database that actually has, has one or multiple schemas in it, which also one or multiple schemas um, drills down to the to the tables and the columns and the data and the rows, right? So in in, in Vitesse, it because the mindset of breaking it at smaller pieces specifically for, for sharding. You would have to, have to actually had to come up with a different concepts of, of key spaces and and the tablets and um, and uh, and things like uh, v indexes, uh, Vitesse indexes, and uh, and the sequence numbers and so on and so forth. So 
Um, hopefully this is not very uh, complex. There are some key adopters. So this Vitesse, it came from um, originally from YouTube to Google. It's been used in that mainly uh, to solve scaling problems of YouTube about 10 years ago, but it's also started being adopted by others. Uh, there are many other companies, there are many other logos. I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to actually share some of them, of course, yeah. but Slack is, is popular right now. Everyone uses Slack, we all use Slack. And Slack has a very good story behind uh, why they needed to adopt to, to uh, Vitesse type of um, sharding um, system. And uh, they also recently um, blogged about it and um, and and uh, and you can read from uh, Slack and Vitesse uh, story. Uh, there is uh, Square, Pinterest. There are other other very well known um, Silicon Valley companies that actually uses uh, utilizes uh, Vitesse. But, and, but would you say that the common denominator there is the question of scaling that was found in Slack? It it is it yeah. is it is actually that's the that's the common theme over there. You need to be able to uh, reach to certain scaling, and and there is no other option within your uh, topology to scale, other than that, and and you actually go um, go into this way of of sharding. So, um, so there's that's but basically it's the sharding. It's the uh, the answer, and and how do you shard in in MySQL, which it doesn't actually have a native sharding um, methodology within? You actually have to have an option to do that, which is which is in this case is Vitesse. And um, so basically, um, there are other adopters. Um, uh, you can look up, um, you know, how it's been implemented. But the way that I actually think about when you say I've adopted this topology. Some of these companies are, are very large in the case. When we say we test in MySQL, it could be part of their scaling or scalable architecture data store. It doesn't necessarily mean it will be done. So MySQL, we also uh, want to highlight that it's for OLTP workloads. We're not doing you know, analytics. We're not doing machine learning. We're not doing um, other, other things that you could do with your data in Vitesse architecture. We're, what we're doing is what we would do normally in MySQL, you would still do because the, the backend engine still officially a MySQL. It's running a MySQL. So we come with all that what the MySQL provides, but you also have to live with its limitations if there is any. And also we also come up with a framework that actually drives that technology to the, to the uh, front end, which is the application. So application needs to adopt that. When we say, okay, we adopted to that, it doesn't necessarily mean my entire application, the whole you know, uh, areas of applications are working on, on, on Vitesse. That's what I wanted to highlight. And I don't think that would be a true statement even if I said so, because I don't believe that that, that could be possible. So we don't actually take everything and drop into the MySQL in real life. Why would you do that with 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 the with the with test? So that uh, that is uh, my general intro, and um, I'm open for um, uh, questions. And I wanted to uh, also highlight over here. We'll share the slide deck, but there's a Vitesse Slack channel. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you can follow the Twitter channel also. If you have questions, the best place to ask questions are is the Vitesse Slack channel. It's open, and and you can join. 
and then you can ask questions. There are maintainers, there are experienced engineers from uh, the adopters, and um, and um, and um, super smart engineers are always around to to answer um, probably already answered questions. So that's what people come into. Like when people research these things, because they hit certain speed bump or a wall. And that's where you actually uh, search for it. And this is a good place to ask about, about Slack. And I'm also and there, what so. would be some of the typical questions or maybe issues that people have? Let's say they've worked with another kind of operator and now mm -hmm. they're moving over to Vitesse. Are there any things in terms of onboarding or typical frequent, you know, frequently asked questions that you seem to, to find? The, 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 the main theme over there is, is, um, is, is actually the sharding. So I actually prepared this. Oh, because we have um, uh, sharding stents over here, sharding widely and shard often. It, because of the uh, design of our data, it becomes very cluttered and big over a time, especially when you start scaling, you actually have to break it up in smaller smaller pieces. And that's, that's, that's how, it's, how it's manageable. And that's how all these companies actually solved their scaling problems. And that's, if you're actually scaling to a certain point, you need to, if you have the sharding in the mindset to come to that, that's that's where, and the questions actually in generally, from my knowledge, from my short knowledge um, is is on, one is how to migrate, basically how to take your existing data to to, uh, to be test. And, and two is prepare yourself how to shard. Because then, you're actually breaking up your data in smaller pieces by by a, a logic, and that logic you have to actually adapt it to your to your application. What what is the you know? It depends on a, a company. It could be clicks like you're actually receiving. It could be geo distribution. It could be regions. Uh, from from what I know, it could be a, a customer distribution. In in Slack's case, was the uh, they each uh, workspace, like every workspace was different. And some of them were very large, some of them were very small. And uh, and then you actually create hot points if you actually put all the data in and the others suffer. And this happened in our initial cloud migration also, which which they called the busy neighbor. While your, your neighbor is busy consuming all the resources, there's nothing left for you, right? And um, and and this this is the same thing in the in the data. If 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 you don't actually split up um, properly, then you actually have a problem. Uh, this is on the Vitesse side. Under um, reference, there's a there's a nice read about sharding. I I actually recommend um, reading this. Um, uh, basically, uh, this is how um, the Vitesse mindset of of sharding that actually has a, a basically in the replicas and then and then actually um, doing that. Uh, there are some advanced toppings in, in the Vitesse that could be a little confusing for people who are not actually familiar with sharding. There is also resharding. You actually can put your data in and then redistribute later on. And that is more advanced thing to do. If, uh, or you actually um, put your data in and then you know split up or you put um, sharded data into the, the correct shards and then start serving your data. And there's there are different techniques for that. One of which I mentioned is a is a V replication is a very advanced replication. You can actually drive and 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 replicate and do a cutover. So basically, these are the techniques that um, um, we test had already implemented.
and solved uh, the problems of of um, of of scalability issues in in most cases. Um, what are the drawbacks? I want to actually ask this question myself. Um, drawbacks are are nothing is is drop in replacement, right? So there is there is a, a some um, assembly required, and uh, to get uh, to get the right uh, recipe out, right? So basically, you actually have to plan accordingly. You don't go out to whether it's operator or not operator or or Helm charts or or you don't go out and just go to production with your data. You need to you need to actually plan accordingly, and that's that's what uh, my my best recommendation is to, to test out, and uh, and uh, and and basically run through your workflow how you would do things in normal you know data store, and and do that on on Vitesse using Vitesse. And then uh, think about doing the, the Kubernetes approach also after that. And, and, and the Kubernetes is also evolving. It's, uh, Vitesse is evolving and things change. So um, backwards compatibility is, 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 um, is a challenge at some points. And also, um, I also always like to highlight one thing. One thing that is most important for your data is, is security. So security and compliance, make sure that that your data is secure. So that's- And that's, that's it's funny that you mentioned that Alkin as well as because we talk about these things like uh, uh, security and other issues as well, is that it seems it's frequently something that's added much later in the story and not included in the beginning because it's boring. It's like feeling like you're doing police work or that you're restricting people's freedom. But how do you, you know, as someone also who kind of works in developer relations, how do you sort of strike that balance between, you know, fun freedom, but then also security and best practices with that? So basically, there are some surrounding tools that we use, and and each of those components, like in this case, it's a Kubernetes, right? Kubernetes, you need to actually follow the security procedures over there, and that that's what where it is, and that they your data store. Same thing with MySQL or any other data store, you need to actually follow their their best practices first before you come into that to that point. But um, Historically speaking, if if you're going into this route, you already have some sort of a know-how in these in these best practices. So, uh, outside of let's take the Kubernetes and Vitesse outside of this conversation, if you were to ask me what should I do as a, as a best practice in in MySQL, there is actually a list of things that you need to do because that's the best practice for that data store. Mm -hmm. It would be similar but slightly different in Postgres or MongoDB, you would actually have to go through those steps, make sure that your backend data store already compliant with that. And you carry that with you. Anything you add, you check those, those gaps, whether it's actually able to do that or it's compliant with that. There is a lot of um, moving parts into that, right? Your, your um, security certificates, your, your encryption keys, your, your, your uh, encryption vault, your plugins to those to those vaults. There's a lot of moving parts depending on where you are. You need to make sure make sure those each component are actually compliant first, and then they actually work together. So that is a little bit of a challenge, but it's doable, and that's why we say test first, deploy later. So it needs to be tested. Yeah, of course. Then some people say, "No, no. When I'm in production, that's what I'm testing." But it's like, no. Well. Um, <laughs> it, you yes, you test in production um, after you go live, but that's easier easier than than basically um, migrating 
in production. So that would be a slightly different. So we're talking about migrating into a different technology or a different topology than, than testing in production. So there's, there's, there's always going to be test in production. Yeah, no, some degree, no matter what. At some, t- some degree, yes. There will as be some someone, degree of... You know, as someone who's been working with databases for quite a long time, you said getting started in the early 90s. What a wonderful time to be alive, the early 90s. Um, but as someone who's been working with databases, you've seen all different kinds of evolution and, and different changes and, and things that have come into play. Do you think that this is the future of databases? We'll be moving entirely to Kubernetes or is this, we have to look at this more as a case-by-case thing? What do you think is going to happen? So um, I think from, from our, uh, from our um, storyline over here, microservices, containers, on-premises, and cloud, all these actually uh, equate to Kubernetes, and uh, for now at least. And, uh, and Kubernetes and the operators are actually a, a good match for managing these things in, in, uh, in uh, at scale. So um, I don't get pings. I used to get these, these uh, a lot. I don't get pings a lot, but I just inst- I, I got one ping today that I, I have just uh, you know made a mistake in production. That shouldn't happen. That should never happen in 2020, right? So if you have Kubernetes, if you have the operators, the risk of making human mistake is going to be lowered. And at scale, making that at scale is is not possible anyway. We cannot possibly manage, you know, thousands of servers right now, as a as a human. And that's why. I agree with your um, statement that the future of data is going to be mostly on, on Kubernetes uh, as well as the future of, of non-data, like the application is going to be on the Kubernetes right now. It's going to probably evolve in, in different directions or, or some other uh, technology will come. No technology lasted forever. So I can say that if within a 10 year or so, there'll be other technologies that will be better uh, faster and secure than than what what maybe version one of Kubernetes, um, may, maybe called something else, and and that can actually migrate some of the some of the data stores and other 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 technologies like operators uh, embedded into it. So so right now we have the luxury of writing our own operator, uh, which actually helps the automation of of things that you need to do manually, and actually you can uh, program. And, um, and 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 give give coordinates to things that you want to accomplish uh, based on based on the the logic that you your application needs. So that's right. a that's a that's a good question. All right. Um, with that in mind as well, too, you know, something we've seen because we've talked a fair amount about operators, and maybe this is way too futuristic, but we're getting close to the end of 2020, a year which we're all happy to be ending. Um, in terms of the future of operators, uh, someone mentioned that there could be one operator to rule them all, in a sense, an operator that can learn all the different things that other operators are doing and sort of be able to uh, be an amalgamation of all the different things that operators can do. Do you envision that as being a possibility? I envisioned, uh, when I looked at the operators first, I envisioned the operator could be more pluggable. And that you could write your own component into it, and that could be one one thing, or like um, like an operator, uh, like the like the uh, Docker Hub, like you have uh, um, uh, some market that you could actually download or or buy, 
and plug it into the to the main operator that actually does the the you know the the thing that the operator is supposed to do. And then you can customize on top of it. Right now, the operator seems to me is like, okay, you do your own and basically you're on your own also. And and that that requires talent and uh, and a skill level to be maintained for a longer period. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, and that actually makes, uh, makes migration and adoption uh, difficult for, for, for smaller shops. Because today's startup, let's say you have an idea and you built a startup and you don't know whether it's going to pick up or not. Could be a, a billion dollar company in the next five years, right? We don't know it will go in, in, a, in a scale. And it does. I mean, we've seen so many startups that when, when they came to that point, well, they can actually hire and, and, and maintain that, that uh, um, t- uh, skill level. But along the way, they actually uh, pay a price for uh, for those companies that I've seen. Pay a price for um, for uh, scalability issues, right? They they actually had to take uh, major downtimes and outages and not able to invoice or or accept customers and 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 uh, we've even seen that during the pandemic uh, this year alone. Uh, it was not too far from here, and uh, you know, like all the the websites are down. We have lockdowns, and and uh, you couldn't order things, and and they actually started having a, a and uh, and this weekend, uh, past weekend in Istanbul, in Turkey, we have a lockdown, a mandated lockdown from Friday night till Monday morning, and uh, before the game time, and when the uh, you know we have the soccer game, the football we call it, uh, the the online. Um, Food uh, options were limited, and and we were getting uh, not uh, not responding outages. So there there's there is that. This is still happening, uh, because no one ever actually millions of people in this country actually had to order a meal just uh, 30 minutes before the game, right? Um, so that is still happening, and and that's that's where where it goes. And I think the adoption to uh, these technologies, um, if they were made more uh, pluggable. Um, that would make it uh, easier to adopt. Like, like you uh, said, with the, the thing of being pluggable, you know, as much as we can talk about um, just like the hard technical aspects, is a lot of this is you know user experience, developer experience. You know, how yeah. is it when it when it comes to working with these things? And I think that's a lot of what our community is about is to sort of get different feedback from different people and say, well, in this business case, this is how we applied this, and in this one, we did it that way. Um, but for a lot of people is that there is a sort of necessity from talking to someone who works on the Strimzy operator, um, uh, Jakub, he told me that you've got to know that there's going to be some DIY here. You're going to be trial and error. It's not going to work the first time. And that's eventually though, is that I guess these are sort of the uncomfortable steps to getting to things that are more pluggable so that it does become easier and people will be more likely to say, oh, you can do it this way. It's quite simple. This is how I did it. Um, that being said, and talking about DIY, um, cause we're getting towards the end and I, we really right. got to, we got really got to hear more about sailing. Um, so right. as someone with extensive, all right. So you have more salient experience and database experience, right? So, I mean, we're, we're talking about <laughs> a, a solid amount of knowledge of experiences of being in different situations. How do you relate what you do, um, uh, when you're at sea in terms of stuff that you're doing? to also your professional life, also considering that you do work from your boat as well too. I'm just saying in terms of the mindset that's necessary um, to be a good sailor, how can you apply some of those learnings to the things that you're working on in Planet Scale, working with the Vitesse operator or anything about running databases on Kubernetes? So the database is, is itself 
the data store and it's super critical and um, and uh, it's super critical for the for the business uh, your your sponsors your customers and and especially for for um, for the, the security of the data and I, actually I can relate that to being on the sea is is the similar thinking is you need to have a practical thinking and you need to solve things fast and with as little damage as possible. And uh, in a situation where, where things uh, go south at the, at the sea or in the database in front of a, a console, you actually have a down database. You need to bring that up and it's not coming up. Is not different than, than your engine not starting while you're drifting to the rocks. So <laughs> you need to be able to um, improvise over there and then find the solution as quickly as possible that will make you not not actually lose your data or or your life or your boat. So these are actually correlated. Yeah. And uh, and I don't actually think about it. It's actually you you um, grow into it, and uh, and then hopefully you have enough skills, background, and knowledge to find the solution as fast as possible. Um, I'm lucky that I did not lose a major data in my professional life. But I've been a, a witness to losing a data. I've been witness to having a very long um, downtimes. I have done 20 something hours or 32 hours nonstop, non-sleep recovery uh, situations. I've been in the data centers that's cold enough like an Arctic North Pole and, uh, and, um, and many situations. I have not been in, in the situations like in the, in the sea because that's more predictable than your database situations. So we, we proactively look for the weather, weather forecast. Uh, we plan our routes. Uh, we play on the safe side. We don't go and, and adventure things that if we don't have to, uh, but you could be caught into unpredicted uh, weather situations. Um, and, uh, and that's why we have actually a, a thing called uh, in databases, a thing called a proactive, uh, proactive, um, monitoring proactive actions, proactive uh, things that you could do to avoid disasters uh, that can happen. And with that in mind as well, like you said, is that there, there is a certain plan and then there are other factors that are gonna get involved. Um, I think that's a lot of it is that, you know, don't be alarmed if things don't work exactly the way as you plan. But since you touched on a couple of war stories there, with what happened, um, you know, yesterday with Google being down and, and this mm -hmm. issues of, you know, storage capacity and things like that, um, what do you think that says about something as big as Google? You know, sometimes you might have the image of, you know, it's too big to fail. It's impossible that something can go wrong. Um, what do you think that says? So it's, it's uh, the bigger that you have, uh, you know, arsenal of, of, of um, data store in, 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 in this case is a, is a, is a you know, a data service. It's a, it's a bigger problem. You, you have an army of engineers to design and to, to perfect, but there's, there's always going to be something like that. And the scale of, of downtime is going to be, is going to be big. Um, and that's, that's actually happening on others uh, that we don't hear because they're not as big as, as Google and, uh, and uh, their services are not as used as, as much as, as the other, other services, but they also do go down. And uh, AWS had an outage uh, recently, just a few weeks back. And, um, and uh, you know, uh, Facebook had an outage. So, so these all giant, large, uh, you know, um, 
companies will have sort some sort of an outages. They they tried um, they 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 take actions to to prevent them. Uh, I have not actually read the the post mortem. I I don't think it has come yet. Mm-hmm. There'll be some some you know uh, publishings on the Google side. I've read the AWS one um, had impacted uh, a funny story and um, a lot of IoT devices. And then and the question was asked what was impacted by your okay my Roomba didn't work or my you know like the cat feeder didn't work those were like a few interesting answers that i got from my friends and uh, and this can happen to to anyone so um there's there's there is going to be some outages there's going to be uh issues with with services so i'm not saying it's impossible to prevent but it's going to be there's going to be some some um issues I think that's the problem is that some people just got this certain image that these things, once again, it's impossible that they can possibly fail. But at the end of the day, you know, everything breaks once in a while and that's it. I think also maybe because of 2020 being such an odd year with many changes that is like, you know, this is the last thing that, that could possibly happen is that we're in December. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. This was, it has been an interesting year in, in that sense. Yes, that's, I, I agree, but we're not over yet. So yeah. And, and speaking of which we've got a little bit of time left and we got one more question from someone in the audience. Okay. Um, to which extent are, are are Oracle's pluggable databases similar to Kubernetes-based instances? So, in in the Oracle uh, Oracle side, Oracle actually had implemented uh, consistent data stores and 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 cluster management, and long enough they have an experience in in doing that with the uh, enterprise because I because I have an enterprise background I know how it the the rack worked and and the, the design of it uh, but in in the kubernetes you actually have to have uh, a similar technology which uh, in the open source world oracle has a group replication which actually allows you to uh, similar to uh, galera uh, percon extra db implementation uh, with a with a uh, algorithm that actually allows you to have um, primary and and a, and a replica servers that you can fail over within within the uh, kubernetes environment they are going to evolve into those uh, but uh, the drawback over there is those instances might be large and there are some there are some um, um, not a showstopper but there are some challenges in in larger data store um, I, I can give one small example if you have a terabytes of data, and those terabytes actually split into a, a cluster with a primary um, and replicas. Uh, if you can imagine a, a scenario where you actually distributed your even your reads and writes into those, if your your primary server goes down for some reason, your failing over to a, a replica uh, might be long enough. And if there are not enough replicas available, you may actually have to clone. And that, that may take a long time to do that. So there is really not a good solution for that yet, unless, unless you break up your, uh, your data into smaller pieces by sharding. Aha, <laughs> so, and then we come back and we come full. So, so I'm going to always come back to that. And actually, <laughs> there, is, there, is, uh, there is that even though disk speeds with the SSDs improved, we have uh, advanced... Um, uh, pipelines of, of high uh, IOPS networks, you still have a, a writing speed of certain limitations. It's not unlimited and not, not everything is in the memory. So it's in the persistent storage. And that because of that, 
you still need to read and write. And all these things don't happen on, on the fly. It has to read and, and write. Um, there are some techniques that was implemented for snapshotting and stuff like that, but the logical volumes are, are not always good for uh, consistent storage unless you actually have implemented certain uh, techniques to, to avoid data loss. So right. I, I don't want to get into those details, but if there's anybody who wants to actually ask questions into those, into those areas, why we are thinking that way, what we, we have seen this, this story and, and uh, I have had a lot of experience with, with the, the customers that actually gone through this and, and didn't work for it. So uh, all those technologies that you actually have uh, pluggable databases, uh, cluster management systems, uh, you actually still have some sort of a, a drawback or a, or a catch-22 situation where you may have to uh, have to break it up into smaller smaller pieces because then then your maintenance becomes a, a, a difficult, right? Very, very good. Perfect. Well, we're, we're pretty much just on time to finish right in an hour. Um, but before we do, we mentioned early when we we're starting out, our, our friend who's with us, Angel, uh, was going to be busy while we were talking. And what Angel was doing was creating this wonderful drawing that Gorka, can you share Angel's drawing? Um, so, oh, uh, Alkin, can you stop sharing your screen maybe? Yes, yes. So we can share ours really quickly. I think, can you see my screen? Yes. Very, very good. So as we were talking, Angel was very patiently absorbing all the things you were talking about and trying to create an artistic vision of all the oh, things that were mentioned. Um, and particularly as you are a nautical man, it was only fitting to get you on a boat. Um, and anyway, thank you so much for your time, Elkin. It was Thank you fantastic. very much for inviting me. Um, we're de we definitely got to, we'll, we'll be sharing the slides for, for, for folks so they can take a look later. Um, also, to, to make sure to get on, and if you have questions about Vitesse, get in, this, get in their Slack, ask questions. Like you said, they've probably heard it before. They've probably responded to these doubts before. Um, once again, strong community feeling, people that are willing to help out. This is a great way to finish um, our meetups for, for 2020 because it was a way to sort of incorporate a lot of the different things that we've been discussing um, along the way. I feel like we have more confidence in how we approach some of these things because of the other examples we have from other speakers. But your ability to tie all these things together and particularly with so much experience and wisdom working with databases, we're very, very lucky to have you as a speaker. So we will hopefully be seeing you as a speaker at either at a meetup in English or in Turkish or on a boat or on land always, or somewhere. Always, always happy to. But we will definitely contribute. be seeing you again, Alkin. So thank, thank you so you much very for your much. time. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Our pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Bye now.